This is the Do Big Things Podcast, where we want to inspire you to do big things. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, a service for ultra runners from beginner to elite. Not only can we get you trained up, but we can also crew you into the finish line. Find us at big-things-crewing.com. Now, here is your host, Adam McRoberts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This, is this a recovery week for you? It is, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I saw that somewhere. I don't know if it was your Strava or something, but uh, so if this is a recovery week, does that mean you had like three hard weeks with big mileage before that? Or what does it look like for you? Sure. Yeah, we do uh, periodization. Um, We do periodization building. Um, We start out a little bit harder on week one and taper off to week three. Um, uh, More of like a a coop concept. Yep. of uh putting the hard work first when you're fresh instead of putting the hard work at the end when you're not fresh um a recovery week i, I actually use the term recovery week but um but you know in terms of uh training and coaching recovery is usually you know uh based on hours um so i do have some hard workouts this week um but um the last two days have been pretty easy okay so it's pretty much three on, one off, three on, one off, and it just goes that way for how long? Um, we, you know, we've been doing three on, one off now, but um, who knows when we get closer. Um, you know, we could break it up. We could do two on, one off. Um, okay. In the past, I've done, um, when I had a reverse um, or the, the standard uh, classic traditional um, periodization, I would do... I would do a hard week and a harder week and then a recovery week um, back in my triathlon days. Um, but trying to manipulate three sports, um, two weeks was <laughs> enough to want a recovery week. And that was really more like five days, you know, I get a good yeah. Monday through Friday off and then start the weekend off with some, some hard work again. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, I was just curious. And by the way, congrats. You just passed your USGA coaching exam today. <laughs> I did. I <laughs> Finally. Did. Dude, I think that I think that I signed up for that coaching program because you were the one who told me about it. And then I passed the test like months ago. And then you finally passed it today. So as you know, I, I, I ha- you know, I always call you out. So I'm just gonna call you a slacker again. But congrats, anyways, buddy. So I signed up on January 10th or something along those lines of 21. <laughs> and I had till January 10th of 22 of 22 to finish it. You have a year to do the training and, and get the test. Um, and so in December, I knew I wasn't going to hit it. So I emailed them and they, they gave me an extension of three months. So today is my last day of that extension. Oh, <laughs> I had to no do way. it today. It was going to expire <laughs> tomorrow. So I was like, all right, I got to buckle down and get it done. And, uh, I think we scored about the same. You said you got like a 96 or something. And I think that's about what I got. 
Um, it took me like eight hours. You, you can, sounds like you did it a couple hours faster than me. I took uh, six hours and I got a 96 I, um, percent. I got six wrong. Okay. And I could not find those questions in the, in the manual, in the book, on the online training stuff. You know None what? I bet I you anything. I bet you it's the same question. We should compare those questions. I bet you it is yeah. because <laughs> the questions that I got wrong, I swear they weren't in there because yeah. I combed through those books for every answer, man. So I gave it about a good 10 minutes on that. I gave it about 10 minutes on each question, the ones that I was looking for. And if I didn't find it, then I took an educated guess. And I think right. those six are educated guesses and, uh, yeah. and they were apparently wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, congrats. I mean, you're already a coach. Um, you've already been coaching people and now you've got this certification. Do you feel like, did you learn anything along the way? Did you pick up any new tricks or tips? I know you're a big fan of Jason Coop's latest book, which I haven't been able to, I haven't had a chance to dig into yet, but mm-hmm. um, where are you at with your coaching? Are you still evolving? Where are you at? So I'm always evolving. I mean, I think coaching and, um, and the learning process is always um, a, an evolution. Um, I, I'm never going to um, know it all. Um, yeah. I do like Coop. I am on the Coop bus. I'm on the Coop train for sure. Um, that book is really good. The second edition. Um, I don't even know the name of it, but but if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, Jason Coop. Um, but he also was the main contributing editor for all the USCA um, information in there. Um, ultra running certification program. So it kind of overlaps. So listening to his podcast, reading the book, and then using the manual, it all aligns the same. There's, there's no, I mean, it's all, it's all the same concepts. So it, yeah. so it's pretty good. I, I could go for a run, listen to a podcast about um, training structure. And then when I go to the manual and I was looking at training structure, it's the same information. Mm, yeah. Definitely learned a lot. Cool. Yeah. How long has Coop been around? Oh, like, I, th- I feel I like I remember so. seeing, yeah, like yeah. I remember seeing him in videos like 15 years ago at least, and he was coaching people way back then. So I know he's been around for a long time. Yeah, I don't know, but I, um, but I know it's a long time. Yeah, he's been around the block for a long time. Yeah, yeah I think he lives yeah, out here. For sure, I think he lives out here in Western Colorado somewhere. Oh, really? Okay. Like Durangoish area. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I feel like that, but but anyway. Mm. And this year you are training for Leadman and Moab 240, right? Yeah, they changed the name of Leadman to Lead Challenge. Maybe, maybe, did I hear about that? I can't remember. Why did they do that? Well, I think they wanted to eliminate the man part of it and, and make it more. Uh, <laughs> Is that why? Okay. I'm, I'm taking a guess, but I don't know. It's called the Lead Challenge now, and it's all okay. five events of Leadville. Um, okay. You got the marathon in June. You got the 50 bike, um, the Silver Rush. Oh, look at that. Look at that promo right there. Silver Rush, oh, 50, snap. Silver Rush 50 bike or 50 run in July. Which one are you doing? Right now, we're talking about doing uh, the run. Who's but, we? Uh, my coach and I. Coach okay. Larry. Oh, coach Larry? Larry. Yeah, Larry? He's, just yeah. he's doing the lead man with you? No, he's coaching me. Okay, okay. Yeah, so between uh, coach and I, we're talking about uh, currently – our plan is to do the run, um, okay. but just where I'm at in my fitness, um, you know, you know, b- there's always the option. Um, I think up until about 10 days before the event, uh, to change if you're in the lead challenge series. Um, so that's July. And then in August you have the, um, the hundred bike 
on a Saturday. I don't know what the date is. I have no idea, but it's like the second week of August. And then on Sunday, you have the 10K run. And then the following Saturday, you have the 100 run. Okay. And that's okay. five events, yeah. And this is your first lead man. Um, I did lead no, man. You've done, in, I did lead man in, in 18. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How was your experience in 18? Do you feel like um, you can improve that time? Oh, yeah. There's tons of room for improvement. You know, I um, actually, it, when I did sign up and get in, I, um, I posted about it saying that, um, that I did do it and have done it, but I was so close to the cutoffs and almost everything. Uh, really? the, bike, the bike cutoff is 12 hours and I was 1151. Uh, <laughs> and the run cutoff is obviously 30 hours. And I was 12, I was 29. I think I was 17 that year, 29, 17. And uh, both times my crew was just sweating and pacing it out. And, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and on the bike, actually, I didn't have a watch and no bike computer. I had fallen, I had flatted once. Um, I didn't have tubeless tires. I flatted once and had to change the tire. Um, and then I crashed on my way inbound. And uh, actually, after I finished, I went to urgent care because um, I threw it. I thought I broke uh, um, a metacarpal in my hand. Um, I had hit the ground so hard. I thought I had um, I just broke my pinky bone mm. in my hand. Um, but it was just uh, severely bruised or something like that. But um, okay. I, so I think there's tons of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any goals this year going into it or is it just go as hard as we can and see what happens? No, we do. Um, I talked to, and when I hired on, when I jumped on board with coach Larry, um, we talked about those goals. Um, I want to do really well at the marathon, the first event. Um, I want to try to get a golden coin for the 2023 Leadville hundred run. Okay. Um, and then not that I would back off, but um, ease up just slightly um, for the other three events, the, the 50, the 100 bike, and the 10K, and then try to come in for um, a big belt buckle for the 100 run. Ooh, okay. So just kind of uh, That's book, interesting. bookending it on the, um, on the bookends, you know, the first yeah. race and the last race uh, going yeah. pretty hard. That's an interesting strategy. Is that, is that common among Leadman competitors? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, it's a good plan. I mean, that way you can get into the hundred the next year and yeah, everyone feels good getting that big buckle. If you can come in sub 25 with the Leadville 100 run, um, that's, that's cool. It's a, it's a good game plan, man. Yeah. And, and then once you get that done, then you just have an easy 240 miles to run in oh, man, uh, I what, do. Like a month or two later. Right. Uh, gosh, it is, uh, October. It's two months later. Yeah. Hey, it's, two months later. It's, it's not even a full two months. It's like seven weeks. Okay. But that's a depending on how bad I get beat up. It could be uh yeah. could be an easy transition or it could be pretty challenging. But <laughs> but seven weeks is seven weeks. It is what it is. Well, I'm planning on being out there for as much as I can, man. And I'll oh, do nice. whatever I can to help. And even if I can't help in one way or another, I'll just sit out there and talk smack and <laughs> you know, do what I do what I normally do. But yeah, it should be fun, man. It's it's gonna be a good season. Um, well, cool, man. Um, thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, just wanted to catch up and just, uh, bullshit, I guess. Um, it's been a while since I've had you on. You've been on the show a couple of times before, right? Uh, I was on for the 240 in, uh, 2020 that I, I finished, um, just, at, just a little bit after that. Um, I want to say maybe November ish. 
And I think I co-hosted with you when we talked to uh, Gemini, um, Gemini Adventures, uh, Reed and Kayla, I want to say. Um, no, you weren't there for that one. You were the one you were there for um, Mr. Kuhn. Is it Eric Kuhn? Oh, no. Um, Kyle. Kyle Kuhn. You were there yeah. for that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, man. Well, um, we live on opposite sides of the state, but I feel like we're sort of, uh, collaborating, uh, often, you know, from time to time and, and pitching ideas back and forth to each other. And you're a coach, I'm a coach. We're always working on our businesses and trying to sharpen each other up. And, and, uh, I had your coach on the podcast recently, Larry DeWitt. Um, he's, he seemed like a, a really stellar dude. I know you guys just went out and biked the whole white rim hundred mile loop in a day. And I wish I could have gone with you guys. I was pretty envious of that, but it looks like you guys had a blast. It was a good time. It was fun. You know, he and um, his friend, Tom, they both, uh, um, they coach high school uh, mountain biking team in Colorado Springs. And yeah. man, those two guys are hammerheads, man. They, um, really? Yeah. They were, I was having, I was having trouble keeping up. I was, I was, really? if, you know, when you get in that little group and, um, and all those things, I was like the weak link on that day really? yeah wow. and i was like man you never want to be the weak link but uh what i did is i just kept uh persistently after it um every time they stopped or wanted to take pictures i'd been there before um i did take some pictures don't get me wrong um but i didn't take as many as those guys did but every time they kind of stopped and took some pictures i'd either just keep on rolling just to kind of be efficient and keep moving larry had an issue with his seat dropper post it wouldn't stay up and then he some, he found some guys with some trucks and some tools. And so they were working on it and I just kept on pedaling as well. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to stay efficient and on it as opposed to like stopping and going. I figured if I stopped with them for 10 minutes, by the time we put it all back together, you know, I'd still be falling behind. So I just thought I'd start, you know, trying to stay ahead of the head of the pack or ahead of the group yeah. and they were catching me every time. So yeah, those guys were hammerheads. They were, they were, they were strong, strong. They're riders. both older than you too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I think, I think roughly like 15 or 20 years older than me too. So it's not like, it's not like three, four years, you know, it's not like, yeah. Studs. Yeah. Um, how old are you? Remind me you're, I would be, I would be 48, um, in May. In May. Okay. Yep. So we're both 47. So cool. Well, right there together. Um, the white room was awesome. Uh, Was it? Yeah. You should have came out. It was good. We could have I would have we liked could have, to. We could have suffered together. <laughs> well, I would have been out on my single speed trying to keep up with you guys, just pedaling as fast as I can. <laughs> I would have had to borrow a mountain bike from one of you guys. <laughs> it's so deceiving. It's so deceiving. It, it was uh, just the way we did it. We rode, we did ride about a 12 to a 14 mile climb, just steady, gradual, um, pretty easy, um, you know, uh, steady grade, uh, you know, pretty, pretty minimal grade to, you know, four or five percent at, at you know six at times but nothing nothing too great um and then you get to the top of the rim and then we descend it down and we we just kind of rolled till about mile 50 um really yeah so you're like totally recovered and all that but like it's like the doom like there's got to be this monster climb ahead of us because we have to get out of this canyon we have to get out of this big box canyon that we're in like somehow so you're like where is it you know when is it coming and so you do these two decent climbs before you get to the final penultimate climb to get out of the canyon but uh but yeah it was kind of crazy because i i had never done it that direction before i've only done it um in the counter clockwise direction and we went clockwise 
Yeah, I was going to ask about which direction you went. Um, which way is better? How did you choose? Um, I'm not super familiar with the White Rim Trail. You know, I've probably done it a, ha a handful of times, but I haven't done it in 15 years. And every time I've done it, I've been with somebody else that's more experienced. Um, and this was um, that case as well. Uh, Larry picked the route in the parking lot. He sent me a pin of where to meet him. And, uh, and I was like 100 yards off of that pin, but <laughs> sitting on the side of the dirt road. Um, I slept in my car on the side of the dirt road, but just 100 yards down around this curve was this really nice parking lot with a porta potty. And <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I missed I missed the pin by like 100 yards, but I thought if I got into the curves, I was going to be too far down the road. So in short order, um, every time I've gone, I've uh, gone with somebody with more experience and they picked the route. Um, I've done it. Um, we've done it overnight um, in the past on a full moon. Um, but and all the other times we're in the counterclockwise direction. This was uh, okay. clockwise for, for no apparent reason. Um, it, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, the counterclockwise direction, you climb up Schaefer Trail and it, um, it's significant. I don't know how many switchbacks it has in it, but it's a, it's a beast of a climb. It is, and it's all at once. So it all adds up mm. um, as opposed to the other way where we knock some out in the morning and then we, we knocked out half the climb um, out of the canyon in the morning on that 12 mile um, steady grade okay. um, start right from the get-go it was cold um, it was cold enough that it was an actual a decent ride you know you were just you know working just hard enough to stay warm and keep it up and uh, you know sun's coming up getting a little bit higher in the sky and then by the time you hit the bottom it got pretty warm I actually got sunburned nice yeah okay how much vert is uh, the total on that loop how much vert did you guys get? Uh, my, I think my watch said it was like just shy of 7,000. That was 6,700. Okay. Okay. That's not too bad. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, extreme for a hundred miles. It's not that bad, but yeah. And did it take you guys all day or what was the time length on that one? Yeah. We were back at the car a little over 12 hours um, from okay. when we left um, with the stopping and starting and all that kind of stuff. Those guys rode about 10 hours um, ride time. And I rode about 10 and a half hours ride time. Okay. And that's where I just kept on pushing when they kept stopping. Would you consider that hundred mile bike ride? Good training for Leadville, uh, 100 mountain bike ride. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's all, I mean, it's, uh, they're it's both a hundred. They're both yeah. about 12 hours, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were, um, I mean, there's some differences, um, but there's a lot of similarities. It's a, it's a two track road the whole time on the white road. Okay. Okay. Uh, so no, and no gnarly descends. I don't, I don't believe, I mean, Schaefer trail is a fairly gnarly descent. You can fly on the straightaways and you have to really lay up on the brakes in the, okay. in the hairpin turns. And there's probably, I don't know, eight or 12 of those hairpin turns, um, mm. descending down, but, okay. yeah, okay. but I think, you know, I mean, I think riding a hundred miles on a dirt road is pretty equivalent to, uh, the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to get out there um, soon. Whenever I get this uh, plantar fasciitis healed up that you freaking gave me. I know we're joking around about that the other night. You had plantar fasciitis. You came here for a visit. We went out for a run and you were the one suffering with plantar really bad. And I actually felt it coming on very slightly at that point. And I thought, no, nah, there's no way. I think that since Brian's talking about it, maybe I'm just imagining it. There's no way. And then we, we ended up being done. We, we got finished up for the day. And then after you took off, 
you, it sounded like yours was getting better almost right away. And mine started getting worse right away. And I've been suffering ever since then, dude. And you've been out there just killing it. I think that was almost a year ago. And uh, no, I suffered almost the whole year. I was kind of glad uh, there was some sort of relief that um, Tahoe 200 last year was uh, canceled due to fire. Um, Cause that was going to be a tough challenge. I, I don't know if I was ready for it. Um, at that time, um, just with the planner dealing with it. I did do the URA 50 last year and, and just kind of micromanaged the planner on that. That's right. Um, but that was about the only event I did last year. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, it, it seems to be much better now and uh, I'm just moving forward. So, yeah. And how about Moab this year? Are you planning on shaving off time from uh, your previous um, experience there? Yeah, definitely. I did um, 96 hours. Um, I did 95, 35, just under 36 hours or 96 hours, um, which is four days exactly. Um, so I started on Monday or Friday morning at 7 a.m. and I finished on Tuesday morning at like 6.45 a.m. or something like that. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to shave. Um, my goal on that race was just kind of a shot in the dark. Um, but what I was, what I thought I was capable of doing was about 80 hours. Mm, nice. um, so, so I was a little bit off uh, 96 hours. I mean, when you're talking cumulatively, um, but I, I took all the splits and wrote them all down and put them into the spreadsheet and did all these numbers and math and everything. And of course you got to eat and you got to sleep something. I mean, even the front guys slept, you know, 20, 30 minutes or something like that, you know, yep. um, but you're stopping at these aid stations loading up on food, you're changing out from your day gear to your night gear, um, you know, stripping on, stripping off clothes, putting clothes back on, all those things add up. Um, but my downtime or not moving time was like 19 hours. <laughs> it's insane, wow. right? That's pretty that's significant. Al that's almost like a full day of just not moving. Right. What was the longest nap you took? Um, I, if I recall, there were less than an hour it was really yeah but i took oh. quite a few 45 minute naps okay how did you I'm end not... up with 19 hours of downtime well i did stop at um oh gosh it was probably about mile 200 or so um we came in a mile 200 about two o'clock and it's it's uh west facing so it's got late day sun on dirt dry dirt roads and um and my family was there, uh, my wife and my girls showed up with my crew and they had gotten the cars all like backed into this little nook and a, um, with a little bit of shade and, you know, the aid station was cooking us burgers. And I just thought, this is totally cool. Why am I going to walk away from this? You know? So we made the decision right then and there that we were going to stick around until the sun kind of went down a little bit. So we stayed around till like five, five thirty. So that's three hours right there. Yep. Um, but you know, you, you think you're efficient, but when you get into an aid station, you know, you, you know, I, I got to strip off all my dirty clothes, um, maybe wash my feet and my legs. Um, I mean, that's probably an hour right there. <laughs> you know, you're moving slow, slow, taking clothes off and yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing it. Yeah. yeah. That's damn near yeah. an hour. Yeah. Cause you know, you know, that you, you hear it in, in concept and you're like, Oh yeah. You know, you walk into the aid station and boom, you're sleeping for 45 minutes and <laughs> right. that's never the case. You know, right. like, I gotta like strip off all my dirty clothes, 
figure out what I'm going to put on next, tell the guys, you know, like we're digging through, they're pulling that stuff out of the pack and I'm saying, keep that or don't keep this or put that in it. You know, so, I mean, it's this whole process that just happens. And then by the time I lay down, they let me sleep for 45 minutes, but if I'm still talking and laying down for 15, you know, that adds up and, you know, and then I do the other end of it. I got to like put the shoes back on after I wake up and kind of get my jacket on and like start moving really slow, maybe get, you know, another burger in or, or some sort of calories, whatever the aid stations are handing out. So, you know, a 45 minute nap, can it be anywhere from two, two and a half hours, you know, and apparently that, that can add up. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty standard for a 200 mile race. I'm trying to remember Mo when last time you did Moab, that was your first 200 plus mile race, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So this'll be your second. Yep. Moab again. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just takes that long. You need breaks like that. I've crewed and paced at 200 mile races and yeah, dude, dudes will, and ladies will come into an aid station and yeah, they might be there for two to four hours. You know, <laughs> they sit down, they on their phone, they're changing, they're eating, they're talking, and they really need that downtime in order mm -hmm. to keep going. It's important, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just a different animal than a, a 50 or a hundred mile race. Yeah. I mean, you never, I mean, I, I guess at Leadville, I don't, I'd ever never, I don't think I've ever sat down for 45 minutes at an aid no. station. Yeah. You know, I don't think like, I have either. Yeah. It's just not how it works in hundred mile races. Yeah, I, I can't even, yeah. I can't even think of a time that I've sat down in a hundred <laughs> for 45 minutes, but um, yeah. <clears throat> do you drink, are you, do you drink athletic brewing? This is not a sponsored ad, but I might as well make this a, a sponsored <laughs> ad for the <laughs> for athletic brewing since they sponsor the podcast. Do you drink non uh, alcohol beer? I do. Um, I do drink some um, athletic. I also drink um, a competitor's brand of huh. non alcoholic How beverages. <laughs> so do <laughs> which, I. <laughs> which I will not name, but um, in any case, yeah. But um, my local store, my <laughs> no, my my. Uh, it's funny. My father-in-law, um, it d doesn't like to drink, um, as what for, for whatever reason, he doesn't like to drink. Um, so he, 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 somebody, he stumbled across a Heineken 0, 0.0. It's yep. their new Odules or their new Heineken 0, 0.0. Yep. And, um, and he stumbled across it and, and he's like, is pushing it on me all the time. And I'm like, man, that like, that's like your grandpa's O'Doul's like for real, like there's some really good non-alcoholic brew out there, right. you know? So I went to, um, not whole foods. I went to like natural grocers, the natural grocery store and they sell it like, you know, the four packs in the, in the boxes and stuff. Yep. Yep. So I went and got him some for uh, his birthday nice. and, uh, I haven't gotten the feedback yet, but I'm pretty sure he's like over the 0, 0.0, hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah it's good stuff man and when, when i was drinking i didn't even like heineken so like to push a 0, 0.0 heineken on me isn't really like appealing really? yeah I never, no yeah what did you drink oh i drank almost everything except for heineken and i don't I know why, I, I picture I like you drinking a modello are you a modello man um i didn't drink modello i did drink like coronas um i drank a lot of tecate um and but i actually drank i think probably if we're talking about beers i, I drank a, just a ton of blue moon i mean anywhere i went i was drinking oh, blue moon yeah. really that was yeah. your stuff yeah. yeah and then they made like halfway or like in the time that i lived in colorado they started making it in that can so it was like even easier to transport around you know it wasn't so like having all these glass bottles all over the place with the 
you know, at the campsite or something like that, you know, so it's a little easier to transport. So they started making it in a can back in the day. Yeah, I know those glass bottles, man. They clink around when they're rolling around underneath oh your seat. Gosh. Every time you turn a corner, it's like, dude. <laughs> How long has it been since you have been sober? Man, I am going on uh, five and a half years. Okay, nice. Yeah, in May, I'll be five and a half years. Nice. Um, I quit drinking uh, December. My last drink was on December 9th of 2016. Okay, okay. How do you feel, um, you know, five and a half years removed? Do you feel like a different person now? Or um, do you feel like uh, it was no big deal? It's just something I sat down and I'm just living my life? Or how do you feel about it? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, if I'm being honest, I, um, I, I mean, I had a need to quit. And I, I had to just go straight cold turkey and just, just do it. Um, I've had experience with um, uh, treatment in the past um, that I'm pretty familiar with. Um, so I don't like go to meetings or anything. Um, but I actually thought, so to get to your question, I thought that, I thought like after a year, I would have seen all the growth I was going to see. And then nothing was going to change after a year. Like it was just going to be like, oh, like all the changes in, you know, like my morning routine and my evening drink and everything like that, were all going to change and just become like a wash. And then after a year, it was just going to be, you know, I was going to be a normal guy and, and not have um, any changes. But, um, but, but obviously we know that's not the case. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and now that I'm five and a half years sober, I'm still like seeing things like, whoa, you know, that's kind of crazy that like my body was so programmed in that one way for so many years. I drank way more than, I drank way more than five and a half years. So to say that the changes are going to, all the changes are expected in one year isn't realistic when I drank for 35 years. I don't know. It wasn't 35 years, but you know what I mean? Something 30 years, yeah. I guess. So, something along those lines, you know, okay. 30 plus years, you know, of, of, of drinking and uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't go away in a year. Yeah. Yeah. Like what sort of changes are you seeing now? Just uh, changes in like my thought patterns and like um, in recognizing things, you know, I think this far removed, I mean, which isn't like super far, but far enough, you know, I'm not like having that craving or like, Oh man, like that salt on that margarita looks really good. You know, from like the table across the way from me or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. none of that anymore. Um, But just like the thought pattern, like recognizing the thought pattern and being like, Oh yeah, my old coping mechanism was totally just to go, you know, crack a couple beers until the refrigerator was empty. Mm. Yeah. So you actually have coping mechanisms, which is kind of what I'm curious about because, um, alcohol is something I struggled with and the desire to drink has been lifted from me. Like I don't Mm -hmm. really crave alcohol anymore, but, um, it's, um, where am I going with this? I'm just wondering, like you quit drinking without any sort of meetings or anything like that, but you said you've been to treatment before. So were you looking back on the treatment you you'd been to before and taking those lessons you learned so that when it was really, really time to quit for real, then it's like, okay, and now I have these tools in the toolbox. Is that how it was? Or what do you mean? Totally. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great, um, that's a great point because I, I wouldn't want somebody to think that, uh, uh, that I don't, um, that I just kind of quit cold turkey and that I'm just like, uh, just not drinking. Like I didn't just change the drinking part of it. Like, um, did you, have you ever considered yourself an alcoholic? 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, even when I was drinking, use. yeah, even really? when I was drinking, I knew, um, really? yeah, towards the end of my drinking, I was like waiting for something big to happen so I could make a change. Well, um, yeah. Definitely. And like, and like, you're just like, I guess when I was waiting for something to happen, I was like, you know, am I really waiting for something to happen? And like, how big do I want it to happen? You know, I mean, like, I don't want it to be like a, you know, a partially debilitating car accident and not be able to run or do the things I love, you know what I mean? But I need some like life-changing moment that can like wake me up and take me out of the funk and move on. Um, I grew up in all sorts of treatment, um, uh, all sorts of treatment facilities. Yeah. Tell me um, about that. I, um, gosh, I, I, I was a pretty wild kid. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still pretty wild, but I'm not a kid. <laughs> but, but if you could imagine that, um, I run 240 miles and I think that's fun. You can only imagine what I thought was fun when I was like 14, 13, 12 years old. You know, I was, I was a pretty crazy kid in short yeah. order. Yeah. And I got, um, I got in some trouble, um, early on, um, and my mom recognized it. My mom is, um, um, well, she was a nurse, um, but she was more like on the uh, mental health side, the psychiatric side of the things okay. um, and that type of nursing. Um, and so she was really hip on it and in, um, keyed in on that, um, that there was an issue, something was going on. And so she sent me away um, to um, treatment and I did like a 90 day program, came home and and screwed that up and then went to like a 30 day like hospital one like with um like in the mental ward type of uh setting you know and i did that one came home um so how did you feel about these visits um when you were you know young teenager and your mom sends you away to a, a rehab or a sober living and what were your thoughts then were you trying to accept the program and be sober or were you just like <laughs> look man i'm not ready for this i you know I'm... well i wasn't even ready quite honestly um you know when, it, when you show up to a rehab center and you're like nearly the youngest participant you know your stories aren't that grandiose compared to the others and there yeah and right. your rock bottom isn't you know isn't even a rock bottom yet you know like yeah. you're still riding the high of like you know of having fun with it you know like yeah. you haven't you know so i so uh, to answer your question is like these guys had some like serious drug stories and serious issues they needed to work on so I had to sit through the meetings with them and hear them out and I just talked and shared to you I mean I was an active participant don't get me wrong but cumulatively I want to say I did probably near four to five years in rehab on and off um whoa until I until I was just about 18 and basically I almost whoa. I essentially kind of like checked myself out or it was enough time that I was gonna you know, exceed the, the limit on my age, uh, to be in rehab four to five years before the age of 18. Like, how do you do that as someone who has to go to school? <laughs> how does so that I work? Went, so I went to a, I went to a rehab that was, um, uh, was also a school, was school, okay. school oriented. Okay. Actually, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, it, um, it was a school and they did give me some learning and some objectives, but I also had like like chores to do. I was a cook in the kitchen. I had to do a barn duty, you know, some, some mornings I had to go, um, and watch a, a senior elderly, um, individual, um, whose parents were the operators of the facility. I had to do that once a week at night. Um, so, you know, so it was like a, a working farm, if you would. Mm. Um, 
and they had a school um, program for the kids that needed it, um, for the participants that needed it. There was adults at this program. It was like a halfway house. It was a church on site. Um, we went to mass every day. Um, we went to meetings every night. Um, really kind of a, um, a weird dynamic and setup. Again, I was a, one of the more younger participants in that setting. Um, when I did eventually get out of there, um, less than two years later, <laughs> one of the issues is that none of those, um, none of those uh, classes transcripts would, um, would transfer over to public school. So when I came back to public school, they were like, oh, no, you got to be a freshman. And, and that's when I like blew off school. I was like, there's no way <laughs> right. I'm, going, I'm going backwards. Like, there's no way. Right. And not that I learned a lot at that in that setting, because um, it wasn't like it wasn't like your traditional like seven to three p.m. type of school setting, you know. Sure, sure. So where were you at when you were like, say, 17, 18 years old? You've been through a few years of uh you know, rehab, sober living, were you, were you trying to stay on the straight and narrow or were you just out wiling out um, or, or somewhere in the middle or I think, I, to... I think I was somewhere in the middle. I mean, like when you're, when you're locked up and incarcerated in those types of facilities, I, um, I was doing the walk, I was walking the walk just to, you know, to, to, to make the experience as best as possible, I guess, you know, so maybe that's were, the, way were these, were these court ordered? Or is it just someplace your parents sent you? Um, a couple of them were court ordered um, oh. and a couple of them were not court ordered. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Got yeah. It. They were kind of a mix of both. Um, when I did get out, I kind of went ballistic and crazy. One year we went to the, Jer I lived in Jersey <laughs> growing up in uh, North Jersey. And we went to the Jersey shore for like six weeks. Uh, me and three of my friends ran away to the Jersey shore and we went uh, just hate, hate, you know, just balls to the wall type of thing. Just yeah. crazy. <laughs> um, but in short order, um, but I knew, you know, I, I actually been in those programs long enough that I was like 17 years, 16, 17 years old. And I was like facilitating, um, AA meetings at the local church down the street and the, and the residents would come in. This is upstate New York area. Um, and, and so I, I was introduced to that scene and that scenario at a very young age and was really, and, and am really familiar with it. Um, I got out, um, did other things in life. And, um, and then when, when I was nearing the end of drinking, and I was looking for that, like, what, you know, how am I going to get out of this hole I'm in? And I was looking for that, that moment of change. Um, I, it actually happened. I, um, I was at a friend's, uh, my last night drinking, I was at a neighbor's house um, in my neighborhood here. Um, I went up there for um, MMA night to go watch some fights. Um, he's a single dude and I have a wife and kids. And, and so I was like, ah, oh, and I'll do the responsible thing. I'll ride my bike up there. <laughs> of course, it's December 9th. It's like five degrees outside. It's a full moon. So I load up a backpack full of beer and I pedal my sorry butt up the hill and, and go to the neighbor's house. Drink all my beer. I drink all his beer. I get on the bike and I come down. Um, and again, it's five degrees. There's like a, it's just like a snowpack. The whole, the whole road, the whole area where I live is just completely snowpacked. Um, like there's snow on the ground. It's, it's, you know, stick to ice type of thing. And uh, at this one intersection, I was coming down the hill and at this intersection, the bike came out from under me. This is all uh, recollection. I don't remember any of it. 
Um, oh, really? Okay. The, the bike comes out from under me. Um, and when I talked to the neighbor and asked him, hey, what time did I leave? He said, oh, you left about 1130 after, you know, after XYZ fight, you know, 1130, you were out of here. And um, the next interaction I had, my, I live five minutes away on a bicycle. And the next interaction I had was with the sheriff and I was on the neighbor's front porch um, between his house and my house. I was at some random neighbor's house banging on the door at like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, the sheriff showed up. That's what they, luckily that's who they called and sort of ran me off. And the sheriff, um, the sheriff was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And he's like, "What do you mean you don't know?" He's like, "Man, you're pretty messed up." And so I had fallen on my bike so hard, and I had no reaction time to like stop break my fall that my head hit the ground so hard I had like a huge concussion. But I knocked myself out from eleven thirty till one o'clock in the morning. Whoa, you're lucky you didn't freeze to death. Five degrees, right? I, I was wearing, I was wearing Sorrells, like, you know, big snow boots mm -hmm. and the bike had like laid over on me. And when I did get up, I pulled my foot out of the boot because it was stuck under the bike. And so I walked at this neighbor's house with one boot on and one boot off. And I broke, I um, separated my cheekbone from my skull and, and broke my nose. I had hit the ground so hard, the impact. Um, so I had to get like reconstructive um, surgery to reattach the cheekbone. The whole cheekbone just came dislodged from the skull. Dang. Um, and uh, so the sheriff's like, you're messed up, dude. You got, you know, and he went up and found my bike and found my boot. So it collaborated the story. I was like, man, I was on my bike. I was doing the right thing, sir. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's all like, what? And he's like, where's your shoe? And I'm like, I looked down and that's what I realized. I don't have a shoe on. And I'm like, I <laughs> I don't know where my shoe is. I got one on, you know? <laughs> um, so he, he calls an ambulance. The ambulance comes and gets me, brings me to the hospital and, uh, and Katie shows up um, and they, and they got to go fix it, you know, and, and, uh, and they got to stick this rod in um, my temporal lobe and push the cheekbone out and then reattach it with these little plates and pins. Oh. And they went, so you through. still have metal in your face. Yeah. A little bit. There's some uh, metal right in here. And I think there's one up in there. Um, I got a little scar, but it's hard to see, but I'll send you a picture of, um, so that sheriff, one thing he did, he said, he's like, you're messed up, man. He's like, have you seen yourself? And I'm like, no. And he's like thinking about it. And he said, Hey, you got a, you got a cell phone on you. And I said, yeah. And he's like, take a selfie. So he shines his spotlight on me. And, and this is, you know, the middle of my neighborhood and, you know, outside of town. So really super dark. So it's such a spotlight on me. So I stick my phone out and take a selfie and I still have that picture. Um, and, and when I woke up in the morning, I came home, I couldn't go to work for a week. I had such a concussion. I couldn't, um, even for my doctor's checkups, I couldn't look out the windshield, the moving trees, really, right? like just messing with my eyeballs and my concussion. So I had to look at my shoes on the floorboard of the car. Oh. Like that's how bad of a headache I had, you know, like for a week. Um, and Katie did leave to go. She, you know, she put me up in a, we, we have like a little tiny little chair in our master bedroom. And so I had like that with a footrest and I had the controller, like the, you know, the water and the, the snacks or like some chips or something, you know, like all the necessities right in my arms reach. And she's, you can't get up and like do anything. Right. So she goes to the store to go get more meds or something. And she comes back and I'm walking on the treadmill downstairs with both hands on the handrail. Cause I, I wanted to run. I wanted to race. I had a season <laughs> coming up. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? What'd she say about that? Well, she was pretty, pretty pissed, but, um, is Katie a nurse? Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> so at least you were in good hands. Yeah. Yeah. I was totally taken care of for sure. But, uh, but, 
but she tried to talk to the doctor and she tried to like, Hey, tell him he can't train. And he's, she's, he's like, you can train. You just got to go easy. And so she's like, that's not what he needs to hear. Like, <laughs> like going easy. Isn't what it means to you and I going yeah. easy for him. Isn't, is it not this, but, um, but in short order. So I knew, so that was my, uh, that was my life changing moment. That's, that was what I was looking for. And that's like, rock right, bottom. I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I'm done with it. And Katie gave me the ultimatum as well. Um, the girls were freaked out and scared when they, they so, I mean, I literally yeah, I had like one half of my face was totally normal. And the other side of my face had like gravel scrape in it and, uh, and was like reconstructed. It was swollen. Um, I broke my nose too. So they had a, like, they went in through the same incision through the bottom of my eyelid and, uh, and rebuilt my nose, um, rebridged it up and everything. Wow. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy. Um, but in short order, I haven't drank since then. Um, that was the last drink I had was that MMA night. Um, so I count like my first day of sobriety that following morning because yep. I was pretty much drunk the rest of the evening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, wow. So, I mean, I knew, I, I knew I, I wasn't saying that meetings weren't for me at that time, but I thought, let me see what I could manage without physical meetings. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I had the understanding of meetings and I understanding of the book, um, and all the, the facets of um, the AA program and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, it's been years, but I, I, I it was ingrained in me. I, I mean, I was a, a young, um, a young adult and had been in that environment for a long time. Mm. Um, so what I was doing is again, I, I um, I'm an endurance athlete and, um, and I was looking for um, those stories that were relatable to, you know, like the ritual stories, you know, like the, you know, he's like an endurance athlete and he's also sober and, you know, and he eats well, um, you know, so I used like a lot of his podcasts. Um, I found all the books on people that, um, you know, like the road to recovery, you know, have like running changed their life or, um, you know, they, they found running through um, sobriety or any of those types of stories. I found all the books and all the podcasts, all the um, audio books I could find on that. And that was kind of like my meetings. I was, when I was driving to work, I was putting in and I was like, oh man, that's totally relatable. And like, oh, I could totally, I totally relate to that. And that's totally, you know, my gig and, and just kind of figure out what worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, and I still do that occasionally. I'll like, I'll find something that like really intrigues me. And it's like sober living related and, and maybe has some aspect of um, endurance in it. And, uh, and sometimes not even, uh, some of them are just sober stories yeah. and, uh, and I'll just listen to them and relate to that. Yeah, yeah. So going back a little bit before the accident, when you were still drinking and in your sort of like active addiction, what's it like drinking like that and wiling out with a head full of 12 step recovery programs? You know, like, you know how not to drink, you know what you should be doing. And at this point, you've really sort of done some self-examination. So you've admitted to yourself, you're an alcoholic, but you've kind of given, you've given up on trying to stay sober and you're drinking. What's that like? Is, is there like guilt there? Are you guilt? Are, are you feeling guilty? Like I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, I'm, I'm just picturing like a war inside my head if I were mm-hmm. doing that. So I'm wondering what that's like. Yeah, there is someone of that. I mean, um, it wasn't like every day or every moment by any means, but um, usually, usually that guilt only like that, like, dang, I know better type of uh, guilt came over me 
if if something went bad with the drinking that night, you know what I mean? Like if I got in trouble or, um, you know, if like Katie and I had a fight or, or, you know, something happened or I got in a fight with a friend or, you know, like something bad happened. But but if it was a decent night of drinking and we all had smiles and laughs and fun, you know, no guilt. Um, right. You know, so it was only like, it was only at its worst where I was like, dang, I know better or I, I know there's something different out there. Um, so it wasn't like all the time yeah. um, that I was guilting myself into it. You know, I mean, I, I did uh, have my run of um, like DUIs and, uh, you know, all those things. And um, they never actually changed me. I mean, like, not that they didn't change me, but um, I mean, they, they made me pay through the nose and I had to do all those classes and, hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, luckily, I never hurt anybody or anything like that um, yeah. physically while I was drinking. But, um, but really, it, it was like waiting for my own epiphany moment my own rock bottom and mm. um and i didn't know what that was going to be and uh, and apparently slamming my head on the concrete just a half a mile from my house was uh it and it was totally enough dude that's scary being in a place where you're just waiting for a rock bottom so that you can implement change and get better because you know you can't do it on your own yeah. you know that's scary man that's really scary well two years prior to that or the two years leading up to that um there was like some some real life changing moments. Um, had a couple friends pass away. Um, maybe not directly related to alcohol and drug abuse. Um, one was definitely an overdose. Um, uh, um, a kid I grew up with in uh, New Jersey um, overdosed on heroin after being sober for a couple of years. Um, but it was almost more intentional. Maybe more, um, maybe more of a suicide type of uh, out as opposed to. Um, I think he used one time after um, a five-year hiatus or four or five-year hiatus. Or That's something usually what lines. does it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, um, and then another one really close um, right here um, in, in my town that I live in, um, a neighbor um, struggled and, um, and didn't survive. Mm. Mm. So I, it was coming. We moved and um, we moved across town and it's just, a, just a lot of drama with it. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of emotional baggage with it. And I knew that, uh, there was a couple outcomes that were going to happen. Um, either I was going to wind up with those guys and, and not make it, or I was going to figure out my way. Um, I'd gotten a DUI um, just a few months after that all. And I thought, well, maybe this is, maybe this is it. And I went to the DUI meetings and I went to, uh, you know, uh, I did the, the, the program that the, the court made me do for the DUI and, uh, and it like slowed it down a little bit, maybe brought some awareness back. Um, but it, but it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't the fix. It wasn't, it wasn't going to work. Um, yeah. I was, I was back to drinking pretty quick and just drinking on the weekends. And I wasn't like, uh, when I was drinking, I wasn't like, a. I wasn't, I was like the weekend drinker. Like I was totally functional. I think that's why I was able to go on for so many years and, and, and uh, I could, I could drink all night. I would go to your house and, and bring some beer over as an offering, but really I was going to drink all my beer and I was going to drink all your beer too. <laughs> and I wasn't going to bed until there was no more beer left. Yeah. Um, but tomorrow I don't have to drink, you know what I mean? But when I did have a beer, I mean, like I would drink everything out and, yeah. and I, and I even noticed that at the end, I was like, all right, like I got to go to the store and get like a suitcase of beer. <laughs> like, cause because I need alcohol at the house. Because if I if I only drink four beers, if I only have four beers at home, I I still gonna need more. Like I'm not gonna just finish up four beers. I'm gonna go drive back to town and go get more beer. So I'm like, let's offset that by getting more beer at the house. You know, 
Were you just a beer guy or did you do booze no. or anything too? Yeah. Um, yeah, anything. I mean, I drank anything really. I mean, besides Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> um, were, you, were you a drug guy? Oh, a little bit. You know, in my younger days, I was. Uh, back in my wild and out days in New York City, North Jersey, um, Jersey Shore. Um, was that good, something... Was that a struggle for you or was, was it mainly the alcohol that was the big problem? You know, I mean, I think my life just evolved um, where the, you know, the drugs for the risk and reward weren't, uh, weren't beneficial. I mean, I have a wife and kids at home and, yep. and it's pretty easy just to go to the liquor store. I didn't have to go, you know, score anything. Like I just had to go to the liquor store and buy booze and, and drive home and then drink myself until oblivion. And then, you know, and, Quite honestly, unless you were looking at my recycle bin, no one really thought anything of it, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. so I think that was just like the evolution of it. But um, but I was a pretty wild kid, um, all over North Jersey, New York City, uh, Midtown Manhattan, Spanish Harlem, um, all sorts of drugs and uh, different scenarios and different different drugs at different times too. You know, like uh, different like uh, trends, I guess I would say. Okay. Okay. And then after the big accident, was it? immediate in your head like okay now i need to stop or were was there some some back and forth in your mind were you thinking about it like weighing out the options like ah, maybe i'll give myself another week or a month and i'll quit then and and was was it easy for you or was it really really hard to stop drinking it was it was at that moment like i okay. that was what, that's what i was waiting for uh, i was waiting for this chain i was like something's got to happen something big's got to happen to make me stop um and i'm not sure what it is yeah and so i literally like although you know katie gave me an ultimatum and, and the girls were really scared and all those things you know um i really wanted it at that time too like it, um and so it i'm not gonna say it was easy by any means but it made it easier yeah that i was making a decision no one yeah. was telling me to go the court wasn't telling me to go to the some you know dui recidivism class or something like that you know like um you know, it was totally my choice. And, and that's when everything changes. I mean, I think if I make a choice to do anything in my life, it's way easier than you telling me to do it. 100%. I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah, man. Um, you know, yeah, someone gets a DUI and they get mandated to go to these uh, meetings or, or whatever, and they just don't want to be there and they're not ready for it yet. You have to make the decision to say, okay, now this is, this is the time where my life is going to go a different direction. And once you make that decision, um, quitting or whatever the substance is, even I just remember like quitting cigarettes. Like once I decided I'm done with this shit, um, it was over and it was easy to quit. But when I wasn't ready and I was making these half-ass attempts, I was really struggling. Like it wasn't easy to quit. Um, I, it, I was just struggling in my head too much. You know, you have to make that hundred percent commitment decision. And then things are a little bit easier there. Um, wow. Um, that's crazy, man. So that was almost six years ago. Yeah. Um, December 10th. So, um, so the half year, I don't know, I want to say, um, birthday or so, um, the half year birthday is May 10th and my actual birthday is May 12th. So they kind of, they kind of fall near each other as well. So okay, kind of cool, kind of cool, two cool ends to, um, to celebrate, you know, like the half year and then the full year in December. Totally. Yeah. Um, Wow, man. Do you, wh where do you think you'd be right now if you hadn't quit drinking? Jeez, uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know how long Katie was, I mean, she gave me the ultimatum, but I don't know how long she was uh, willing to continue down that road anymore. I mean, she gave me the ultimatum, so um, so who knows, uh, you know, and we had two kids already, um, and we still have the same two kids, but no more kids is what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't trade? I thought no. you traded kids. <laughs> no, no, we don't even have two kids. We have like one pre-teenager <laughs> and, <laughs> and, one, and one still kid. But yes. anyway, yeah. But in any case, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'd be, man. I, um, I honestly don't know. Um, I had ran um, my last DUI had put me um, in the county jail for 60 days. Um, I think it's like, I think that's like the fourth, maybe, maybe the third or the fourth. DUI? Yeah. I, oh, I can't remember. Dang. Oh, yeah, yeah. Quite a few. Um, okay. Over the course of like 20 years, sure. uh, 20, 25 years in short order. Um, so you had lost your license? Um, I did, but again, I got it back like right when I got out of jail. Okay. Um, I got it like that breathalyzer thing in the car. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I was okay. like, that, and again, that didn't stop me. I was drinking when I had the breathalyzer. I just wasn't yeah. drinking when I was driving the car. Right. And I mean, right. it, so it served its purpose in that regard. Um, but I don't think it helped like the the alcoholic. It just helped the alcoholic get to work. Yeah. 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 Isn't it crazy how going to jail and getting a breathalyzer in your car and four DUIs still isn't really enough to make you say, I quit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, nah, you know, I don't really have a problem. I mean, the problem was that the cops were there. They're the mm-hmm. one, they caught me. That was the only problem. I don't have a problem drinking. It's like when you're in that active de- addiction, denial is so strong, man. I mean, you can just <laughs> deny, deny. It's like you're living with a bag over your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think another DUI would have, I think it was like a minimum of two years in jail. Mm. Um, so it would have been pretty, pretty significant, you know, I mean, it would have, I mean, 60 and in 60 days, quite honestly, um, again, you know, like I, I super lucky, like, um, I worked for a town government at the time, a different one, um, that I currently work for. Um, I worked for town government at the time and, um, and the county, that the town is in um, allowed me to do um, basically outpatient jail. Um, so I was able, I was like on a work release. I could go to work oh. and then my boss was game on it because I could go to work and I didn't yep. have to lose my job. Yep. Um, and, and you know, I had to like do the pat down and the breathalyzer going in and out of the jail every night and every morning type of thing. Um, but basically, you know, I, I told my boss, I'm like, I'm going to work, you know, six days a week, 10 hour days. And he's like, that's great. You know? And so I was like, that was, so I tried to keep myself out of jail as much as possible. For sure. Um, it's kind of a weird deal too. It was kind of crazy because it didn't really, it, it, the lesson didn't hit home. Um, the jail wouldn't mix for rightful reasons. They wouldn't mix the, um, the work release program with the inpatient program. So the work release program didn't have a kitchen or a cafeteria. So they let you out for, I think it was an hour at a time for three times a day um, the, the, on the days that you were in inside and like on the weekend, like on your to Sunday get food? to really? get food. And, wow. and yeah. And so, so on Saturday I would bring from work, I would bring back all these groceries with me and load up in the refrigerator and then on Sunday, I would go for my hour and say, I'm leaving, I'm leaving for my hour. I wouldn't even, I use the vague term, like I'm leaving for an hour and they're assuming I'm going to go get food. And I would run the trails 
<laughs> for an hour <laughs> and then i would come back at like one hour and two minutes like completely drenched in sweat like looking at my stopwatch like hitting it and i would go upload it to my phone um <laughs> you know like starting and ending at the jail yeah and i did that three times a day one of the days i got in like 27 miles in three hours or something what? like that yeah, no yeah. Way. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were the other inmates saying did they know yeah they were like you're crazy i mean they were like more crazy the fact that i was a runner and not because you know they just didn't get that concept you know yeah and they had a spin bike inside of the um in like our little pod uh-huh. an indoor spin bike yeah. so uh, like eventually i got like biking clothes brought to me and i, I put on these you know like the full cycling kit in the yeah. middle of this jail and, ro- <laughs> and rode for like like it was football season because i remember watching a football game and i was just riding away and at first they were all shy because they were like you know like why is this guy wearing spandex it's pretty awkward you know and then by the end they were like dude you're like crazy (laughs) so i don't know if the lessons hit home you know for 60 days of jail right when i'm doing that you know it sounds pretty soft yeah it was super soft (laughs) and then we could order out food too so i would have food delivered and the the inmates or the 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 guards would get annoyed because i'd order like some really decent food in the place that i was in um you know like one of these high-end mountain towns and uh, just like ordering like ribs and mashed potatoes. And, you know, I was like, man, I was trying to eat my vegetables. So I got like triple vegetables on it. And I, I, you know, you have to like buzz into the guards and you tell them, Hey, I got food coming. And they're like, okay. You know, and they just think it was like some, you know, Subway sandwich or something like that. And then like this gourmet meal shows up and I'm like, you know, 40 bucks, I paid them 40 bucks. Actually, I think we were like making money in, in the jail because I was like not doing it. I wasn't driving. Uh, you know, I didn't have uh, any, I, I didn't really spend any money. I mean, right? other than food. Right. <laughs> wow. Kind of crazy. Pretty wild. Yeah, man. Um, do you think you would have done uh, as many of the races that you've done uh, if you had continued on uh, drinking? Like, it sounds like while you were drinking, you were still running and athletic and exercising and, and still fit. But would you have been able to have done the Moab 240? Um, like I, when I drank, when I was drinking, I was still running and racing as well, but there, there was a big duality in my life between the two and they were always competing for my attention, the drinking over here, the racing over here, and I'm trying to balance the both of them. And it was a real tough thing in my head, you know, and okay, I'm not going to drink tonight so that I can run tomorrow morning. But then after I run tomorrow morning, then I can drink the rest of that day, take the next day as a rest day. And, you know, I would plan it out in my head, literally like that down to the hour. Um, was it like that for you? Or am I just a freaking nut job? <laughs> yeah, we know you're a nut job, Adam, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was telling you, I, I drank, um, consistently for 30, 30 plus years or something like that from when I was a, a young kid, um, on and off, obviously in those rehabs and on and off in different times of my life, but, um, but mostly on, um, but I've been a runner for longer than that. I, I started running distance when I was like in eight years old or so, eight, That's right. seven, eight years old. I, um, I ran the mile. Um, and then I, even at like the high school age, I, I only competed at like 5k, uh, just before high school, I guess, or like that freshman year. Um, even when I was in those rehabs, they would, you know, I, I would do good and, and, and get brownie points and merit points. And they'd say, Hey, what do you want to do? And I'd say, I want to put on my running shoes and run around the property, you know, cause I knew I wasn't allowed off the property, but I was like, if I could run the perimeter of the property for an hour and a half, 
that's what that's what I want to do. And they, so most times they'd let me out and they'd let me go do that. And, you know, they had somebody standing outside watching or something like that, but whatever. But, you know, like that's like total freedom, you know. So running's always been a part of my life. And um, and as much as I drank running, it, at least, I mean, who knows what would have happened um, and if where that uh, pendulum would have uh, uh, flipped sides, but running was always a priority. And I had this innate ability. I could drink until the bar closed till 2.30 in the morning. I could go to the after party at somebody's house till 3.30 in the morning, four o'clock, stagger back to my place, drink my last beer, four, 4.30, and I could be at the door. I could take a two hour nap. I could be at the door at 6.30 in the morning. I'd suffer for the first hour, sweat it all out. And then I'd go run the, the rest of the remainder of the workout um, just as easily. And sometimes I was doing that to get to work like, like, oh, like I can't show up like smelling like booze and hung over. So I'll go run for an hour and then shower, rinse, brush my teeth, go to work. And I was like pumped and jazzed, full of energy. Mm. You know, I, I, um, I'm not a big sleeper, still not a big sleeper, even without drinking. Um, and so uh, so that kind of really, uh, you know, I mean, a couple of days of that would wear on me. But um, but man, I could, I could do that Friday, Saturday and Sunday easily. Mm. I'm just sitting here thinking of your story and um you were in the Marines too, right? I was in the military. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how does that all fit into this? Were you uh, drinking hardcore in, while you were in the military too? I'm, I'm guessing yeah. it's, that's pretty much the culture there. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was, but, but I'm extreme, man. I am freaking extreme, bro. And, uh, okay. and I was like the extreme drinker. I mean, if you're, if you put me in a bunch of room, in a room with a bunch of Marines, yeah, I was the extreme drinker, but I could, I, and some of those nights, to tell those stories is that I would drink until PT in the morning. I wouldn't even like try to sleep. I would just drink till five 30 in the morning, show up just stinking and reeking like booze, maybe swaying in formation a little bit. And then we go, you know, we go do this formation run and the running was easy for me. So it was like, Oh, there's, there's my out. All these kids were suffering and, you know, like just, just couldn't run as easily and boots and, um, and all that kind of stuff. And I would just go run six miles and sing all the songs and, still drunk and just crush it i bet and be sober as could be by the time i got back for you know for breakfast you know after the run wow you know i did um i I did run into some trouble in the service though um so i was a first off there's a there's a couple stories there i was a fraudulent enlistment in the marines um my recruiter was the recruiter of the year for like two years in a row um and i didn't have school transcripts um i took a ged when i was like 16 and a half or 17 years old i just went down to the local community college um took all the tests and i said whatever i fail i'll um i'll take the courses for that subject and try to pass the ged and i passed it all just straight off the get-go so i was done with school because because that was the annoying part that school that i was at that rehab didn't transfer those grades over Mm -hmm. so they wanted me to be a freshman when i was like a junior So I was like, no, there's no way. And so promised my mom I'd get the diploma. So I went down the street, got the diploma, GED, no school transcripts. In order to be a GED um, enlisted service member, you have to have two years of transcripts. And uh, and this guy was uh, just a hoot. He was just crazy. Um, this all came out in the wash years later. Uh, the recruiter um, went to my local high school, and I have an older brother, and got my brother's files and my files kind of mended them together no way and then totally <laughs> totally fraudulent enlisted me um yeah I, I i shouldn't have been there um i had it like 
you know, maybe some charges that I shouldn't have been there with either. Um, but in short order, it got me in. Um, I went through boot camp, flying colors, um, loved every second of it. I was a huge, um, I just loved the physical aspects of it. I loved the mind games of it. Both ends of it really kind of suited my style at the time. I was super quick and witted. Um, I could think on my feet. I, you know, there was no hesitation in anything I did. I was either all yes or all no, whether it was right or wrong, didn't really matter. Um, flew through engineering school, um, went out into the fleet and, um, and, and went to these uh, duty stations. Three years into it, um, I was in Haiti and, um, and basically we got busted for smoking pot, about four of us, um, before pot was legal, obviously. Um, it's still not legal in the service, but, um, but we got um, uh, one, of the, one of the guys that was with us uh, ran his mouth to somebody else and so on and so forth. This whole daisy chain of events happened. And, um, and I got dishonorably discharged from the service um, due to drug use and alcohol, use, not alcohol use specifically, but, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, I guess. Yeah. Substance abuse for sure. For marijuana. Yeah. And they still, they'll still kick you out of the military for marijuana, right? I believe so. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I haven't been in in like 25 years. So. For sure. For sure. <laughs> wow. Unreal, I, man. Yeah. But I did those things. I, um. Yeah, I mean, I woke up every day, just that same thing. I would go go super hard at night and and go, you know, uh, hard during the day. You know, I was just just charged all the time. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. When you're young, you can kind of get away with that. You know, I kind of did the same thing in my twenties, um, and then in my thirties, it slowed down a little bit, but I I kept doing the same thing. <laughs> wow, man. Um, well, thanks for sharing that story. I. I I, um, I love a good recovery story and I have, you know, this, I have all kinds of recovery people on my podcast, especially that are in, in, into the endurance world as well. And, um, I just love hearing these stories. They inspire me and I hope that they inspire other people. And, you know, I don't think that everyone needs to quit drinking. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone has their own journey and, um, everybody's relationship with alcohol and, or whatever, whatever substance is going to be a little bit different. So you have to make your own decisions. And, but, um, outside of the recovery topic, <laughs> one of my last questions for you sort of relating is, uh, and I guess in a way you sort of answered it. Um, I was just wondering how the hell you get everything done that you get done because you're a family man with kids, with a full-time job. I think you have shit that you volunteer and you ha you're all over town doing all kinds of stuff and you're training all the time. I'm just wondering how you find the balance to get it all done. Um, I guess you sort of answered that by, by saying that you're not really a sleeper. I think you sleep. What do you sleep like five or six hours a night? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Probably five, okay. five or okay. six good hours. And sometimes that's broken up a little bit as well, man. I wish I could do that. So you have an <laughs> extra few hours a day that most people don't have. So that helps, but are, are you someone I, who I, gets up in the morning and trains or are you training at night or both? Or what does it look like? Um, I can, tra I train whenever, um, the good thing about running 240 miles and even hundred miles at this point in my life is that, uh, it's a 24 hour or better event, um, or longer. Um, and so any time of the day is good time to train, um, morning, if afternoon, I'll, um, I train at lunchtime, some times of the year. Um, I, I just got a brand new treadmill. Um, we replaced our old one. So I've had a treadmill before, um, but we just got a brand new treadmill. So it's kind of a new toy for us. So we're, we're, uh, 
we're juggling the use of that. So we, um, I might even get on for um, a little bit of walk tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I do juggle a lot. I, um, I, I think, uh, I think sometimes it, um, it's a detriment if I might say, um, sometimes I feel like, man, I don't know if I'm doing, you know, I'm getting these kids out enough, my own children. Um, but, um, you know, I, I enjoy what I do. Um, I, I love, I love to have a little too much on my plate and, um, and try to make it work. Um, even like that testing today, um, for, uh, USCA, um, you know, I waited to the last minute right for that thing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And I, and I figured it out, you know, like I was like, I was, I was pretty nervous about it or not nervous, but just like, like, man, I got to get this done. I hope I didn't waste my money and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I just knocked it out and it was just like, whatever, just got to move on to the next thing. And uh, so you work well with a little bit of pressure. Definitely. I don't, I actually don't work with deadlines um, that well, or I'm, I'm more of a procrastinator, um, maybe not with my training, but with other things, I, I tend to procrastinate. Um, but as it gets closer to the line, I, 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 um, I work better, like doing it all in one good push, like this testing, I, I probably could have stretched that out for a couple of days, you know, with, with like pausing it or saving it or whatever that thing was, there was a button there that said that, but I wouldn't have done well at that. I, I would, I need to get onto the next thing. So I need to knock this out right now, move okay. on to the next item. Okay. But you're a big mileage guy. Um, like when you're at your peak training, are you like, are you running triple digits throughout the week or no. not quite that much? Okay. No high mileage. I think in, uh, in 2020, uh, 2020 high mileage was around 80 or 90, okay. um, 80 or 90 miles. Um, and I actually would condense that into like four or five days, um, just cause of the, the life I have. Okay. Um, so it wasn't even over like seven days. So, okay. Just, so, okay. So let's break that down. That's a lot. So if you're running 80 or 90 miles in like say four days, so you have a few days off to, I'm guessing, spend with your family, work on house projects, stuff like that. Essentially I'm running three marathons in a row. Right. And probably yeah. multiple times a day, right? I'm guessing you're doing two or three a day. Sometimes it's two and three a day. Sometimes I'll go for a run in the morning, um, come home, mow the yard, unload the dishwasher, reload the dishwasher. Uh, get the kids' bikes on the car, go back to town. Um, I'll go run with them while they ride their bikes for another five miles in the afternoon. Um, then we'll go to the pool. Uh, they'll go swimming. We'll go swimming and hang out, relax, come back home. I'll either jump on the treadmill or go for an evening run. Um, when my wife comes home from working at the hospital um, and get a few more miles in that way. Or um, my wife's off from work and I throw a mattress in the back of my car and I take off for... Um, either east or west i'm either going to the 14ers um to the east of me or i'm going to the desert to the west of me and i'm i'm driving there i'm running that night i wake up in the morning and i run again and i get in the car and drive back home and you know i've gotten all my miles in wow how do you stay so focused um is it just like you know i don't know for me it's like as soon as i hit enter and i sign up for that race on ultra sign up suddenly I have a, a, just a plethora of uh, this intense uh, drive to train. And that, that's really all it takes for me. Are you the same way, just like self-motivated? Okay. Totally. Yeah. But I have to have that dangly carrot. I actually struggle if I don't have an event on the calendar. Yeah, me too. I, I have like, I have thoughts of events and I have like, um, you know, the bucket list of events I want to do. Um, but if I don't have that thing registered and in my queue on ultra sign up or something, and I'm, it doesn't say I'm in anything, man, it is just a plot. It is like, all right, well, you know, if I don't have a focus, 
there, there's nothing really out there, you know, mm. and it could be a small something. I mean, it could be like, you know, the neighborhood 10 K or something like that. And I'm like, all oh, right, I got something to train for, you know, like right. <laughs> I'm going to wake up early and get that 10 K in, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And you've got a full-time job. You didn't, you kind of glossed over that too. So it's like, it's not like you are a stay at home dad and you just have all this time on your hands. I mean, you are as busy as it gets. Yeah, life is busy, man. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I um, sometimes I fear what the alternative might be. Really? Yeah. What is that? Okay. What does that mean? Like, if I wasn't busy, like, or if if life was just slower, like, I I need the busyness in my life. Really? Like that 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 just keeps me going. I need the next thing. Like, I already know what I'm what I might do after I get off this podcast or this recording. Sure. Um, you know, I have two two options here of what, what's going to happen. Uh, one of them I thought might be finishing up that exam but I, but I got that out already. Yep. Um, but I, I might need to get a few more miles in and I might not. Um, but if not, I, I need to, um, figure out where we got weekend plans in Denver. Um, so we'll be over your way. Um, Oh, this weekend. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I'll hit you up later, but, uh, um, wait a second. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, I think I will be in town this weekend. I'll have to check, but I think I am. Cool. Cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just, I got to either like pack tonight for tomorrow so I could get a bike ride in before we leave um, at noonish, or I got to figure out, you know, I got to figure out the next workouts and I'm, I'm only like typically a day or maybe 36 hours ahead of myself on planning. Like that's mm-hmm. just basically the way things go. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, here it is. Here, um. <laughs> so that's how you get it done. Okay. So I kind of understand that. How do you relax? Like, are you able to go on vacation and just sit down for a week and just chill on a beach? Man, or... a, a week would be a stretch. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, my wife actually will say that I'm, I'm like the planner. I need to have every moment of pl- a vacation planned out. Like, really? all right, we're going to wake up at seven. We're going to hit the, the continental breakfast at seven 30. We're doing this at eight o'clock. We're doing that. You know, like I, I need in a noon, I'm going to get my run in while you guys are at the pool. And then when I come back from the pool, we'll hit the move. You know, like I need that whole plan in my wow. head. Like I, I can't like, like to sit around and like put my feet in the sand on a lounge chair at a beach or something like that. Not that I do that. Um, but that would, I, I think I could do it for about like 20 minutes before I would be like, all right, like, what are we doing? Like, what is the plan? Like, if this is the plan, I could probably do it for a little bit longer um but i need to know what's next like i can't just sit there and like be like oh maybe we'll have dinner you know like that that doesn't equate like and um and eventually maybe i'll get there but uh, but right now i i I think i'm in that mix where there's so much going on already that i'm comfortable having that something always going on like you know my kids are home maybe when the kids go to college and um, it's just my wife and i maybe i can relax a little bit more um but right now I, I don't, I don't see that. I don't have that relaxation mode. Yeah. Actually, I, I like the workouts. The workouts are, I don't know. They're like my relaxation, I guess. Yeah. They're my, they're my uh, Zen. They're my time. That's how I figure out all the, the world's problems and how to fix them. Yeah. Yeah. And then when, when I get home and stop the watch, I forget them all. I forget how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I get it, man. I get it. But um, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm just into human nature and I just love studying people and how they live their lives. And like, you know, how can I improve my life? How do you do it? You know, what's the right way to do it? Um, yeah, man. I just, I just love hearing everybody's different version of it. Well, cool, man. Um, yeah. Let me know what's going on this weekend. If you're coming around, I'm pretty sure. Let's see. I think I'm, 
I'm coming back. I'm going out of town. We're going down to Pine, Colorado, but I think I'm coming back either Saturday morning. I think Saturday, like late Saturday morning or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, but let me know. We can go for a bike ride or something like that. I mean, uh, hopefully it's not as snowy as the last time you and I went for a bike ride. It might be, I think. Oh no, tomorrow's supposed to snow, I think. Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be melted by then, but yeah, I just know cause we're going to drive over the passes. So I'm always checking the, the tunnel, yeah. the tunnel yeah. news. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, yeah, man, keep me posted. And, um, as always great talking to you and, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for sharing everything and uh, getting so detailed about your past and, um, where can folks find you? Uh, if, uh, someone wants uh, coaching by Brian Pacenti, is there a, is there an easy way to find you? Yeah, I, um, I'm running altitude endurance coaching. Um, it's the name of my business. I have it on Instagram, Facebook, and I have a website at altitude endurance coaching.com. Okay. Um, I'll be updating it with, uh, my USG logo. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> That'll get yeah. you, uh, like one more client, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You never um, know. Everything yeah. helps, but, but the, the, the information was really good in short order. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find, uh, cool. Brian Pisani, um, I think it's Pisani on the run at Instagram and I'm just regular Brian Pisani on Facebook. I only do Facebook and Instagram. I don't do any of the others. Oh, you're not dancing on TikTok? Uh, I don't know how to talk. Dude, I, I think that. Oh, I'm on Peloton as uh, rise up, up, up is my okay. handle on Peloton. Okay. That's my new, it's my new social media. It's Peloton. I am not on TikTok either, but if you were on there dancing, I think I would join TikTok. Oh man, that that is not, that is not an invite I want to take. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, cool, buddy. Um, I'll let you go. Thanks for doing this and uh, have a good night. And it sounds like I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks brother. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay. Take care. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like what we are doing at Big Things Crewing, or you enjoy the podcast, please consider donating to us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash do big things is where you can drop a dollar in the hat, so to speak. I'd like to thank our loyal Patreon subscribers. Without you guys, this isn't possible. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, Exoskin. Their running apparel keeps you comfortable in absolutely any condition. Say goodbye to chafing and blisters. Check them out, exoskin.us. Use our discount code, capital BTC, for 15% off. I also want to tell you guys real quick about Bigger Than the Trail. Bigger Than the Trail is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization that is using trail running as a platform to advocate for mental health. If you've ever thought about getting therapy but aren't in the position where you can afford it or you don't have insurance, Bigger Than the Trail offers you free therapy for three months. Yes, you got it. I said it. You heard it right. I couldn't love what these guys are doing more. I signed up for it. It was quick. It was easy. Within 48 hours, I had a a therapist that met all my pre-requirements. It was all matched up with me and met my personal criteria. And I met with her every week for, I don't know, a couple months. And, uh, you know, I, I, I met with her until I felt a little bit better. And, uh, you know, I'm trying this thing. You guys should try this thing. And, you know, we can all do it together. Look up Bigger Than the Trail, sign up for the services, and let's do the small things in life that eventually lead us to doing the big things. Let them know we sent you. Also, we want to thank Alter Ego Running. They make premium performance hats. 
Everyone needs a good lid or two when you're out running on an epic adventure. Uh, these hats should be your go-to on everyday runs, epic adventures, and just cruising around town. Check out Alter Ego Running. Use our promo code, capital, all caps, do big things, and that's for 20% off. Last but not least, this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, the finest non-alcoholic craft beer in the market. Check out athleticbrewing.com and use my discount code, McRobertsA20, all caps, for 20% off the finest non-alcoholic beer around. Enjoy the taste without the hangover. Remember, guys, life is short. Do big things, baby. Pedro. Take us for a run.